We're continuing our study, which is called The Great Escape. This is our walk through the book of Exodus. And as Peter said, let's set our cares and things that we're worried about outside of this place, set them aside. Let's be focused upon what it is we're here to hear, which is what God has for us. I have prayed over this message, and I have uh, asked God to reveal what we're supposed to see, and uh, I'm excited to preach it. I've been, I was, the last three days, I've been wishing it was Sunday, so I'm ready to get after it. All right. Uh, last week in our message, to give you a little bit of refer- refresh, in the message called The Training Begins, the Israelites were about to enter the wilderness of the Red Sea on their way to the land flowing with milk and honey that God had repeatedly promised to give them. It was through God laying out his expectations of the Hebrew people that we saw the Lord not only preparing the adults and the children to serve him with the right hearts, but us as well. No one could make the excuse that they didn't know what to do or how to do it because the Lord was very clear in his instructions and his guidance and his guiding presence. This morning we will walk walk in the wilderness alongside the children of Israel as they will face their first real test of faith in our message, which is titled, Stand Still. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to come to your house. And Lord, I thank you for each one that's here. Uh, Lord, uh, we're here for a specific purpose. And God, you directed us to this place, to this time. And I'm thankful that I get to be here for this. Lord, I know that I have asked, asked you throughout the week and have prayed heavily over this message. Lord, I know that you've spoken to me. And I would ask now, God, that I would get out of the way that you might speak through me. Uh, Father, thank you for this opportunity. Give us what we need in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, book of Exodus chapter number 14, verses 1 through 14, we're going to be in today. Uh, Exodus 14, 1 says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, verse 2, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihahirath, before Migdal in the sea, over against Balsavon, before it, shall, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. Okay, so we see here God gives very specific instructions. And one of the words I want to stand out in this phrase is he says here, that they turn, okay? So they were going in a specific path, and God has them alter their path specifically to take them to this place of called Pi-Hi-Hirath, okay? This is a very specific location by the sea. Out of obedience, they follow him, and they do exactly what they're asked to do. Verse 3, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, and the wilderness hath shut them in. So God's literally telling Moses, Look, I'm putting them in this situation. This is a tough spot, okay? If we go by this description, we know about this place, Pi-Hi-Hirath, The fact is, bottom line is, they're literally in a trap. God has put them in a place where you go, you know, this this isn't a good scenario. This is kind of scary, right? He's literally setting them up in a position that has no escape. Now, why would God take these shaky, fearful people and put them in this type of a situation, right? What we have to understand is God always has a purpose, and God always has a plan. From our wisdom, we look at that and go, well, these would be the worst people I would choose because you know what? They're really shaky at this point in time. But why is he doing this? Doctrinally, the wilderness, we understand this. Doctrinally, the wilderness is a picture of the Christian life. Okay? So when we reference, the, when you hear the wilderness and we relate it to us, that's our walk with God through the same battles and struggles that we deal with every day. Okay? So the purpose of the wilderness, remember we talked about this last week. The purpose of the wilderness was not to get them out of Egypt. Okay? The purpose of the wilderness was to get the Egypt out of them. It is a refining process that they must go through to change who they are. Okay? So that's what we're looking at. Remember that doctrinally Egypt represents sin. Okay? So as children of God, we've been delivered from sin through our deliverer, Jesus Christ. Right? And until we reach heaven, the promised land, which is what they're shooting for, right? We will live in the wilderness, right? This Christian life. 
and all of its challenges. That's just the reality of where we are. In our story, the children of Israel are getting ready to face a big old challenge, a big fat one, right in the very beginning as they're just kind of getting started. They're really just kind of establishing themselves. Now, this hopeless situation that they're facing, we look at this and we go, you know what? I can relate to that. There's been a time in my life, perhaps, when I have felt as if I was hopeless. There's times in our life when we think about, you know what? This is a no-win scenario. And we get frustrated or we get fearful, right? And it's interesting, the fact that God, unfortunately, we don't understand it, but God has a purpose for it. And these experiences have a purpose and a plan throughout them all, okay? Let's see what the insight God gives through Moses here in this next verse. And he says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he, will, that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh's. Notice this, he says, I'm going to receive honor, and upon all his hosts, but that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And it says then, there's a little phrase at the end, it says, and they did so. So what we see is God's telling them what the purpose is, which is God's going to receive honor from the Egyptians, but also we see that their circumstances of these Israelites, which are not circumstances that they would choose, have a purpose and a plan for something larger than themselves, right? And many times we're so caught up in the weeds or caught up in the, looking at the tree, we can't see the forest that's right before us. And that many times is the Christian walk as we go. These oppositions, these things are going to come up, and we get hung up on the issue instead of trusting the fact that God has a purpose and a plan. Okay? So as we see this, as the Lord finishes telling Moses what's to come, what's really interesting, it says, and they did so, meaning this is actually taking place. Verse 5, and it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So literally, while God is telling this, this, this information to Moses, it's actually taking place in Egypt. Amazingly, consider this, just a couple of days before this, Pharaoh is devastated and broken and sorrowful and just absolutely gutted, right? And he's overwhelmed with his emotions of his situation. It's only been a matter of days, it's under a week, and now he's shifted, that emotion that he felt has shifted into anger, shifted into anger. And we think about that, that is something that unfortunately is a trait of humanity. Many times when things don't go the way we think they should go or things don't go, things go poorly, we switch into this fleshly, sinful mindset and we get angry. James 3, verse 14 through 16 says this, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. How many of us can attest to the fact that when we get caught up in our emotions, we can shift into confusion and evil work, right? Next thing you know, you've said things you should not have said. You've reacted in a way you should not have reacted. And we find ourselves in a situation of confusion. What we know about God is the fact that in 1 Corinthians 14, it tells us that God is not the author of confusion, right? So if God's not the author of confusion, we know who is, right? So we're in a spiritual war and in a spiritual fight, just like these Israelites as they're facing it every day. Guess what? We're facing it every day. You're in your wilderness right now. If you're a born-again child of God, you are in your wilderness as we are marching, trying to get closer to the Lord. So as these feelings consume Pharaoh and his people, we see that God does not intervene to change their hearts. He's not going to change them. And remember that Pharaoh is a picture of Satan, yes, in this, in this, in this prophetic sense, but also he's a man. He's a real person who lived in Egypt. And guess what? He's a sinful man who is what we would call rebellious. Rebellious. And rebellion is something that's a part of who we are as human beings. 
Rebellion, we see it in the streets of our cities. We see it in our own homes, right? You can have a three-year-old child, right? Give me that. No. Right? Ah, what did I say? Give that to me. No. Next thing you know, they're running, hiding, slamming doors, trying to hide from you, right? Rebellion is a part of who we are, unfortunately. But see, rebellion is driven by pride, right? And pride is something that's a destructive force in our lives. In 16, Proverbs 16, 8 says, pride goeth before destruction. And then it says, on a haughty spirit before the fall. So that pride leads to destruction. Now, destruction, destruction may not come today, and it may not come tomorrow. But let me assure you that the end result of rebellion at some point in time is always destruction. Always. People that rebel against God to the very end open their eyes in destruction. And it's a reality of this walk. It's always going to end up in the final results, going to be deep sorrow and regret. Many of us can probably reflect on individuals that we've known or heard of that could be the poster child for this rebellion. When I was working at the previous church where I was at, I worked on a bus route and I used to visit in the city. And I met a young man one day and I reached out to him and met it with him on the next day, and then he brought him to church and developed a relationship with him and mentored him and walked with him. And he had an older brother. And his older brother was somebody who didn't have any interest. When I came to the house, he blew me off. It wouldn't talk to me. And when I tried to talk to him about the Lord, he didn't have much interest at all. Well, back in 2005, there's something called, the, have you ever heard of the Hidden Valley Kings? Right? That's a gang at Charlotte. And there was a young man who was tragically and horribly murdered. That young man is the brother that I was trying to witness to and talk to about God. And I said, man, there's, a better, there's something better for you. And his thing was, he was so focused on the things of the world, the car that he drove, the money in his pocket, the reputation that he had, the style that he wore, all those things were so important to him that he had no place for God. And that rebellion not only led to his own destruction, but guess what it did to his family? Destruction. Destruction. Mom and dad split up. Destruction, destruction, destruction. And we've got to be careful in the fact that as we live our lives, we're not only accountable for ourselves, but we're also accountable for the people that love us and watch us. Guys, bottom line is, as fathers, man, we have a responsibility to stand for our kids, to stand for what's right, to live a life that sets an example to them, shows them how to live. We're to be a picture. We're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. But be man enough to own your mistakes when you make them. Don't play it off. You know what? Hey, and just walk off. You know what? Get over it, kid. No. When you're wrong, let them know you're wrong. Be man enough to admit that you're wrong. That's not a part of my message, but that just came out. So, <laughs> so we see this, this blind rage. As we look at, at Pharaoh right now, what we see is somebody who's caught up in his emotion, his situation, and he's blinded by rage, and he's going, man, you know what? I'm going to get revenge, right? Verse 6. It says, and, and he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Not only is Pharaoh going to send his troops... He's going to go himself. He's like, you know what? I want to be there personally because I am emotionally invested in this fight. I'm going to make sure that I get my pound of flesh. Who's ever been in a fight? And that's the mindset that you have when you're arguing with your spouse or your kids. And sometimes we want to make sure that we, they get our point. You've got to understand where I'm coming from, man. Arr, right? We've all been there because we're human, man. But that's not the result God's looking for. God's looking for unity. God's looking for us to love and to understand one another and be willing to listen. Frustration and anger. It's personal. Verse 7. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. 
Okay? So this is what he's doing. It's basically, if we were to relate it to our today, our military, this is like he's getting SEAL Team 6 and the military, and they're coming after him. And he's getting all of the best of the best, and they're coming in a, in a mess. So these chariots give you an idea what they would look like. I got an image up here. This was the ultimate war machine of the time. This was, these were battle chariots. They, you see they've got armament on the side. They've got a, an archer. And these things, man, I'm telling you what, they were, at the time, the most devastating military force that existed in that era, okay? So Pharaoh is sparing no expense. He's taking the very best that he has. says all 600 chariots that he's sending. Not very strategic, if you think about it this way. He's literally chasing a lot of unarmed people, right? And he's leaving the city defenseless. So this is somebody who's caught up in their emotions, not thinking logically, not planning per se. And it says in verse number 8, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand, okay? That term, a high hand, I did some word searches in the scripture, and I'm going to give you the best analogy of what I can tell you what it means. When it talks about that high hand, what he's really saying, it seems to be in a, in a sort of a celebratory sense. Because as they're leaving Egypt, it says here in, in Numbers 33, 33.3, it says, And they departed from Ramses in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month, on the, on the morrow after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with a high hand in the sight of all the Egyptians. So whatever the high hand is, it's something that you can see. And I'm imagining it's a bit of celebration, like, woo, you know? They got all this gold in their hands. They're like, man, we're leaving. We've been, you know, slaves for 430 years. And we know from verse 5 when they were like, hey, why did we let them go? It probably didn't sit very well with the, with the Egyptians. So Pharaoh leads his army out of Egypt in hot pursuit of the people. Just imagine what this would be like, okay? If you could see this, 600 chariots roaring out of the city. Can you imagine the sight of what it would look like? Imagine the sound. Chariot after 600 chariots. I mean, I'm talking, that's double horses. That's 1,200 horses, man. That's just, boom, rolling by, this big cloud of smoke, right? And if we imagine ourselves, it's kind of like if you thought about in today's era, I thought about this. It's kind of like this, right? If imagine you were on foot and this is what's chasing you. As far as they're concerned, those are the tanks of the day. So you and I would be like, oh, that'd be a little stressful, right? Now, as of right now, the Israelites don't know they're coming, but that's what's on the way, okay? So what we find here is this mindset. Now, the Egyptian people or the, the Israelite people, as they're walking, the average person walks about three to three and a half miles an hour, right? Well, these war chariots, based upon the reproductions and stuff like that, they can go between 25 and 35 miles an hour. So this is overkill to say the, list, the least. We're, they're chasing men, women, and children. There's no reason to send this kind of force, but they do. So Pharaoh's trying to send a message from the mighty empire that he's displaying. So imagine the pride, right? As he's in the midst of this, because we know he's leading it, and he can hear the thunder and the roar and the rumble. And you know what? Knowing Pharaoh like we do, is it possible that Pharaoh started going, you see this? Do you see this? Israelites, oh, you've got something coming. Oh, the mightiest army in the world, ruled by me, is on your tail, and I'm coming for you, right? His pride would be developing and strengthening. He'd be discounting the power of God that he just witnessed. So many times our memory's a little short on what things have taken place, and he's so focused upon what it is he wants accomplished, he will not stop. Verse 9. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pihahirath before Balsaphon. So we consider an untrained mob of slaves on foot and a highly trained chariot army pursuing them. It's not hard to imagine the chase was short-lived. Within a matter of days, the Egyptian army is upon them and they are bottlenecked literally in a canyon 
facing the Red Sea. Pi-hahirath is literally a place of no escape. It is a trap. When I was a kid, I grew up on a farm. And when you want to put, you want to do the, get this into the cows, guess what you do? We had a chute that was made out of wood. And you'd get the cow in there and you'd be like, oh, and he put as soon as he got in the chute, man, you're like, and they run into the chute and the chute gets progressively smaller. And it reaches a point where there's a hole and they'll jam their head through the hole. And when they put their head through the hole, you take this lever and go, and it goes, and it catches them right here. Then you slide a bar in behind their legs and boy, they are stuck. There's no way out. That's what we're looking at here. And God directed them here. He directed them. It says he turned them to this place. Verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh and the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. They were sore afraid and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. They look back. Now imagine this. The people in the very back of this two million people, this big crowd, they start going, what's that? Huh? Big cloud. I don't remember that earlier. Did you, do you remember that? Uh, what did, you hear that noise? What's that? Oh my. Is that what I... Do you... And all next thing you know, man, warning, screams. And man, I'm telling you, it spreads through the crowd. And everybody's freaking out because guess who's coming? And they're looking out in front of them at rolling waves. And they're looking up at cliffs on either side. And they're like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? There's no escape. We are dead meat, right? So the excitement and celebration that was probably in their hearts before, went away pretty quick, and it went from excitement to terror, and the faith that they had has now turned into fear, right? Has anyone, can anyone relate to this, right? We find ourselves in situations like, man, life is good, and all of a sudden you're like, you know what? Oh, why, God? Why? Why, why, why? Even though these people have just witnessed God humble the entire nation of Egypt and bring its ruler to his knees, their faith crumbles. All the promises that he's made, that they've seen him fulfill, as well as those that he's given them and told them he would fulfill, they are completely forgotten. Their faith, as weak as it was, it is out the window. And they slip directly back into what they're accustomed to, which is living based upon their emotions, relating to their fear, and freaking out, okay? This sounds like us, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. We can all relate to that. There have been times in our lives, man, we have shifted out of our faith and we've fallen into our emotions and we've been completely overwhelmed and feel like, you know what? The world's over. This is all coming to an end. And guess what? The devil will tell you that it is. And he'll lie to you and tell you, what? God doesn't even know what you're going through. He doesn't even care what you're going through. You know what? You, you, you don't have any reason to have faith. Give up. Right? Just listen to their reaction in verse number 11. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us up, taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us? dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt. Notice whose fault it is that they left. Thou, right? And thou. It's your fault, Moses. Man, why did you bring us out? Come on, man. This, is, this responsibility doesn't lie upon us. What's going on, right? Unbelievably, their mindset is the fact that Moses is to blame and the fact that they were the ones that cried out for a deliverer God brought the deliverer that they asked for, brought them out of Egypt, showed them and did all that he did, right? And we see this in this situation. And can we imagine in our world, someone, when the world seems to fall apart, shifting blame to someone else? Yeah, man, I'm telling you. It's amazing, isn't it? 
But buddy, that's who we are, right? Well, I mean, it was not really my fault, but I, and I don't want you to feel bad because guess what? This has been going on from the very beginning. Genesis 3, verse 12. And the man, this is Adam, and the man said, the woman thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So Adam doesn't go, look, I'm sorry for what I did. He's like, look, you know what? I mean, it wasn't really even on me because if it weren't for the girl that you gave me, you know what I'm saying? And she's just bad news. I mean, you know, she influenced me, man. I mean, I just, I'm a pawn in this thing. I'm a victim. Come on. Isn't that what he's saying? Yeah. And he's blaming God. He's like, well, look, the one that you gave me, this isn't even on me. God, this is your fault. Amazing. He made his choice. But guess what? Every single one of us have witnessed. If you're a parent, I'm telling you what, you've witnessed that. That shifting of blame, buddy, I'm telling you what. Who did it? <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I'm telling you, something would get broken in our house. And well, traditionally, my kids always said, Hayden, Hayden did it, Hayden did it, right? That, <laughs> but it was always, whether he did it or not, right? And, there, and the thing is, we're, that's, that's who we are, man. We don't want to take responsibility for the things that we do wrong. We don't want to own when we've done these things. And the thing is, this is why salvation is so hard for so many people. This is the very reason. Consider this and the fact that, the, 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 that even though salvation is something that's very simple, it's at the same time extremely difficult because it takes humility. It takes a willingness to admit we're wrong, to own that, right? And then face a God that we're accountable to. And that's not easy. Most of us would rather just, you know, try to avoid it. And the problem is that we live in a victim mentality society. Everybody's a victim. Nothing's my fault. Talk to anybody, any situation. Go down to the jail, talk to somebody. It wasn't me, it was my cousin, right? Always the fact, everybody's shifting the blame. Everybody's like, it's not my fault, it's not my fault, it's not my fault. Without personal responsibility, it's impossible to become a child of God. You cannot get saved unless you take personal responsibility. How can you be accountable for sin that you will not even admit is your own? Amen. You can't. You can't. So that takes humility. But because we're prideful by nature, humility does not come naturally. That's something that requires effort and energy and a willingness to look within ourselves, right? When we look in the mirror and we truly see who's there, not who we say to the world, it's not the Facebook version of us, but the real us with all the issues and all the struggles and all the weaknesses. When we're willing to look in the mirror and see that person, then we can recognize that we're in need of a savior. But if you sell yourself the Facebook you and you just live the persona, you're living a lie. It's empty. It's unfulfilling. And you'll never find that joy that you're truly seeking. But I'm telling you, to be humble before God and realize that you're the problem and he's the solution, ah, oh, it's the most freeing thing in the world. It's a wonderful gift that God's given us. Salvation is a beautiful, beautiful thing, but it does absolutely require that humility. Not only do the Israelites try to shift the responsibility off of themselves, but they actually try to rewrite history to fit their narrative. That fits, that's our country right now, right? They want to rewrite history and the very, very change things and start to change the reality of what's taking on to fit the narrative that they want to hear. Listen to the way they lie and they squirm to get out of the accountability in verse number 12. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt? Saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Look, we love it there. It's awesome. The Egyptians are amazing. They're great people. We, I mean, we just want to be a part of that culture. What, what's the deal, right? It's amazing. 
For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. Right? Man, Moses, do you not, did you, didn't you hear us back then? When you were trying to, we were begging you not to take us because we wanted to stay? That's not what happened. But that's what they wanted to say because you know what? They're trying to make themselves no longer accountable. But see, the cool thing is, let me assure you that uh, when you're in the Christian life and you're trying to walk and you're trying to live for God, that Satan, Pharaoh, is going to send out all of his forces. And guess what? He's on your tail. And you know what? Sometimes God will direct you into a pie high hireth and put you in a situation where you feel like there's no escape because in that situation, it's not up to you. It's up to him. How do you realize you need God unless you're in a situation where you truly need him, right? God allows things for a purpose. And the cool thing is, right, even though that's scary, don't get me wrong, knowing there's an army on your tail, that's scary. But the cool thing is, what if you knew who was with you? What if you realized who was with you and that it wasn't, you weren't alone? Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said this, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. To the very end. I'm there. Remember that it was the cry of these very people that prompted God to send Moses to bring them out. It was based upon their cry that God performed all the miracles that broke the Egyptians and allowed them to leave. So not only are they, dis are they dissing Moses in this instance, but guess what? They're dissing God at the same time. I mean, God did all that he's done, and they're sitting there turning their back on him, literally. Do you remember what the Israelites are a picture of? Remember that we talked about way back in the beginning. The Israelites, prophetically, are a picture of us, the individual believer. So what we find is this whole, these, these traits that we see in the Israelites that we find frustrating, they're the traits that we all live with, and it's us. Now, if, 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 if I was God, bottom line is, I probably would have been like, you know what? You want to be slaves? Knock yourselves out. Be slaves forever. Enjoy. Luckily, I'm not God, right? But that's in our flesh. <laughs> I'm telling you, there'd be lightning bolts striking all over the world. I'd just be like... <laughs> Like, man, he's got an attitude. So thankfully, that's not me. Um, not only will we see incredible patience with God in these instances, but guess what? We're going to see Moses have great patience as well. Now, we remember the old Moses, right? Remember the old Moses who was emotional, man? He was a hothead. I mean, he would, in a drop of a dime, react in emotions and situations. Check out how he reacts to this in this very situation. Verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you, today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. And that's true. They'll never see them again. Moses is telling them not to be ruled by their emotions. 365 times in the Bible, that same message is given to us to not be afraid. 365 times, one for every day of the year, to not live in fear. But that's what most of us struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis. This is not the, not the time to be ruled by their circumstances or emotions. Situations where, they, where it seems like there's no way out, guess what they bring out in us? The worst in us. You find at the depth of your faith when you find yourself in a paha hirath. You realize how much you trust God when you're in those situations where you don't know what to do. Do we have fair weather faith like the Israelites? When things are going good, we have faith. Or do we have that patient faith, that steady faith of Moses? That says, you know what, even in the midst of this, I know my job is to wait on God. It's to wait on God, right? Look at Moses' next instructions. It said, stand still after not to be afraid. He says, do nothing. Wait on God, right? 
There will be times in life when God's going to call you to action, and you will know it, because you know what He will do? He will empower you to take that action. We've seen it with the Israelites. He's seen a picture of it. He gave them the gold, which will be for the tabernacle that they will one day build. He gave them the unleavened bread so they could literally keep that concept of righteousness. He's literally sanctified the kids and set those aside that are going to serve Him. He sanctified the, 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 the sacrifices, and now He's giving them a chance to stand by faith. He's setting them up to do what it is he's called them to do. God does not set us up for failure. And some people think God's out there trying to get you. No, God wants you to be victorious. That's the whole goal. Because it's through the victory, not through your own strength, but through his strength, that God's name is elevated. That's why you exist, is to elevate God's name, to bring glory to his name. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of, fa- born of God, us, overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Our faith. See, this is a moment that requires faith, only if it's just one man's faith. Because guess what? The Israelites, they are freaking out. They're lying. They're pointing fingers at Moses. You're the problem. This is not our fault. Yet Moses stands and he says, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. There will be times when your circumstances and your situation are going to overwhelm you emotionally. You're going to look at your situation and go, you know what? I give up. My faith is shattered. Just waiting to be destroyed. And that's a scary place to be. But it's also a wonderful place to be. Because guess what? God knows where you are. God knows exactly where they are. He directed them there. So if God works in your life and he's allowing things to take place and guide you down a path, when you find yourself standing facing the ocean and the canyons on either side, he's not like, oh, I didn't know. Sorry, wrong turn. Good luck. Hope you make it. No. He says, I'm setting you up just where I need you to be. And if you'll trust me, I'm getting ready to blow your mind. Buckle up. But we're not like that. We don't have that faith of Moses. We have the faith of the Israelites. And we fall back into who we used to be. And we live in our emotions and we cry out in fear. Is it possible that God allows things for a purpose? Absolutely. He literally directed them into this nightmare scenario. Not so that they could fight. Not so that they could figure out a solution. Not even so they could run. Are we hearing that? Right? Not to figure out a solution. Not to fight. Not to run. And we're all, when we get these situations, we start running through all the different scenarios of how we need to deal with this situation. And what we learn in this is, bottom line is, he's simply saying, I want you to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord firsthand. Stand still. Just watch the water. That looks like your destruction, but it's actually going to be your deliverance. The victory is ours. We need only to claim it. So when we find ourselves in this pi-hahirath situation, the instructions are, fear not. Stand still and wait on God. If we can remember that, that's something you can carry through this entire journey of the Christian life, the wilderness. You can carry it all the way through. Fear not. Stand still. And wait on God. 
And if he has direction for you to go, guess what he'll do? Turn you when he needs to turn you. He'll direct you when he needs to direct you. And there are some times when you don't have to have all the answers. And some of us, we struggle with that because we believe that life, we just have all the answers. I got to have it all planned out, right? Some of us, we live footloose and fancy free. That's kind of the way my life's always been. My wife is a planner. I mean, I'm not joking. We were, we were like a calendars, right? She sends me calendar invites. And we're, we're husband and wife. I get calendar invites all the time. She's like, we're going to be here. Remember? Calendar invite. I'm like, that's right. Yep, 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 yep. But the thing is, she's that planner. She likes to have everything in order. But you know, it's hard for somebody who wants to have everything in order to simply go, you know what? I'm going to take my hands off the wheel and I'm going to trust God. Because guess, control is an illusion. You think you have control of this life? You don't. You think you got control right until they go, guess what? You have cancer. And all of a sudden you're like, what? Uh, or you've got this illness or this illness. Man, all of a sudden you realize control is just a joke. And what I need to do is hold on to God because he knows where I'm at. He knows exactly where I'm standing. So, fear not, stand still, look for the victory. For see, you know what the cool thing is? It's not our fight. Instead of going through our Christian life filled with trepidation and fear and anxiety, preparing for the battle ahead, which many of us do every day, what if we had the knowledge to know that God knows where we are and we understood the fact that the battle is not ours? Look at the last verse we're going to look at. Verse 14, the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. He says, look, don't stress, don't cry, don't fret, just stand still, hold your peace, and watch me bring deliverance, because the victory is ours, but we have to claim it. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you you're defeated, to tell you that you're, that you're not worthy to tell you that you don't deserve victory in your life because God has great things for every single one of us. And no matter what life has told you, no matter what your circumstances have told you, God loves you exactly where you are and he wants to do a work in your life. Years ago, I was a lost man, 34 years old. I didn't know anything about God. I'd never been to church before. I'd never looked at a Bible before. Never heard anything about him except for the lies of the, of the world that had told me, you know, bad guys get wings or get, get, get horns and go to hell and good guys get wings and go to heaven and you're watching the cartoons. That's the world I lived in. I knew nothing about faith. And the beautiful thing was that somebody took care enough to tell me the truth that God loved me right where I was, as broken as I was and as stupid as I was and the decisions that I made in all the past. And he said, he still loves you right where you are and he still wants to use your life. Are you willing to be used? Are you willing to give your will over to God's? And it goes back to that humility thing. Are you willing to humble yourself before him? And you know what I realized when I looked in my own heart that I was lost and broken and undone without God. And on my own, I was going to just fall nothing but misery. And it was a matter of realizing that and falling down and saying, God, I need you. And a pie high high earth moment in my heart was I have no way out because I was facing eternity. And eternity without Christ is hell, man. It's just the reality of what it is. That is destruction. And there are people every day that choose it. Every day, rebellion over God. Rebellion over God. Our world is filled with it. And it's not until we humble ourselves before him and in love he reaches out. And he says, you know what? I'll do the work. I'll fight the battle because it's not your bite. Hold your peace. Stand still. 
and see the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you uh, spoke into my heart today, Lord. The message was for no one else. Uh, God, I'm thankful that I was here. Thank you, Lord, for what you've shown us and God, the fact that you are so faithful. And Lord, no matter where we are, no matter how broken we may be, no matter how many mistakes we may have made, no matter where we may find ourselves in this journey of life, you lovingly reach out to us. And you tell us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is a promise from the God of the universe to every solitary soul on this planet who's ever lived. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, I called upon you 17 and almost 18 years ago. And Lord, you saved me. And I'm so thankful that the relationship that we established can never be broken. Thank you for your willingness to work in this place and in these people. Thank you, Lord, for the hearts of these folks to be in a place where we can hear the truth of the Word of God. Thank you for the Scripture. Thank you for the Spirit that directs and guides us. Thank you, Lord, so much for the fact that, God, you have a purpose for even the dark times of life that we do not understand. We need not have the answers. We need to just simply stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Thank you, God, that we are not uh, to live in fear, but to live in confidence. And God, to know that, Lord, you have a purpose even in the midst of times where we may fall into our fear. Lord, we can always lean back upon God and know that, Lord, you will lovingly gather us up and protect us and fight for us. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't have that relationship with God. Hey, guys, I understand. Almost 18 years ago, I had no relationship with God. Trusting in myself, hoping for the best. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't have that relationship with God, but I want it. I want it. I want to have peace in my heart. I want to understand the fact that God loves me because you know what, I've never experienced it. And all your life, he's been reaching out. The whole point is you've got to be willing to let him in. He will not force his way into your life. He will lovingly reach out and you've got to reach back out and take his hand. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your savior, you've never prayed and asked him to come into your heart, then he is reaching out to you right now. In your very seat, you have an opportunity to receive the gift of God. Whosoever shall call, right? Is God understands that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us has the same problem. Sin separates us from God. The price of that sin is a separation from God in a place called hell. And God came in the form of a man and died for the sins of the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then whosoever shall call. It means anybody on the planet, no matter who you are, no matter how broken you are, no matter what you've done, he's willing to receive you exactly as you are. If you're on the internet, if you're an overflow, you're in this room and you want to receive that gift, you have the option to pray. It's not a matter of a words or a ceremony. That will do nothing for you. But if your heart is sincere and you want to receive Christ, you have an option to do that right now. I'm going to pray out loud and you can pray in your heart and mind. You talk to God. This is a moment with you and him. And you have an opportunity to receive that gift with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you want to pray and receive Christ as your Savior, repeat after me in your heart and mind. But understand, if it's not sincere, it does nothing for you. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I've hurt you. I've hurt others. And I've hurt myself. 
and I'm sorry. I come before you today broken because I need a Savior. Lord, I trust that you say that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose on the third day and proved you were God. I'm asking you to come into my heart this very second and save my soul. Lord, I will see you in heaven one day. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you prayed that prayer today and you were sincere and you meant it, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to pick you out. All I want to know is I want to pray for you. Between you and God, if you did a work and God did a work in your heart today, if you will raise your hand as an acknowledgement of what He's done, just say, Amen, I saw that hand. Amen, amen, amen. You received Christ today. Amen, amen. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the work that you've done in our hearts today. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have uh, to come to hear the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done in hearts and lives. God, bringing people to yourself. Thank you, Lord, for the love that you have for humanity. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the word of God, the spirit that dwells within us, Lord, and the one that God has come to pay the price for the world. God, you are amazing. And Lord, I want to tell you that I love you personally with all my heart. I'm so thankful to be a dad and have the opportunity to be a model to our family, to be a model to this church, Lord God. We pray, Father, that you help us to be found faithful for what you've called us to do. The enemy is desperately trying to bring destruction. He is working to destroy families and people and children all over this country. And Lord, help us to stand victorious because the fight is not ours. It's yours. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.